chapter 23. We read together verses 13 to 32. I will continue the reading. Verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the malefactors, evildoers, literally, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided Him, saying, He saved others. Let Him save Himself, if He be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked Him, coming to Him and offering Him vinegar, and saying, If Thou be the King of the Jews, save Thyself. And a superscription also was written over Him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on Him, saying, If Thou be Christ, save Thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. We know from the other Gospels, he also said this was the Son of God. We're told that there were two criminals that were crucified with Jesus. Jesus flanked them. We don't know if there were others in other lines that day. We don't know how many were executed. We only know of three. There may have been more. But I would like like us to think of the four deaths at Calvary. Not literally, physically, Four people, but the four kinds of death that were experienced at Mount Calvary that day. Jesus was born to die. What was the nature of his death? And there are different natures of the deaths of the two criminals that we discover in the scriptures. The first death 
we might say, was death to sin. Do you understand the concept? In Romans chapter 6, it tells us as believers to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was one person there that died to sin. He was a sinner. And there was a death there that he experienced that was in regard to sin. In other words, a different relationship to sin was experienced by this man uh, while he was hanging on the cross. He had an experience with sin in his previous years that labeled him a sinner. But in a moment of time, in, as he was hanging on the cross, he was changed from a sinner into a saint. And he died to sin. In other words, he became a believer. He became a saint, a sinner saved by grace. And we read it, don't we? We're told in another Gospel that those Criminals were both deriding Jesus. Well, it tells us in this Gospel as well that uh, the criminals were deriding Jesus. Verse 32, there were two that were with Him. And these criminals, I'm sorry, it was the other Gospel that tells us that they were deriding Him. Now, there are those that try to argue there must have been more than two criminals that were crucified that afternoon because one of them didn't deride Him. And so there must have been at least three criminals. But I think the way that that should be interpreted is that this man was deriding the Lord and all of a sudden he was changed. Is it possible to curse the Lord now and just a minute later to bless the Lord? Is it possible to be, to be one who mocks the things of God one day and the next day you thank the Lord for the things of God? It's that quickly that the Lord can change a sinner. So the man apparently is deriding the Lord with his companion for the hour or so, what, what they were—they were all crucified. We're told around three o'clock in the afternoon. At least Jesus was. But it seems that to indicate that all three of them were crucified around noon. I'm sorry, around noon. Uh, sorry, nine o'clock. And um, at noon, darkness struck, and apparently there was no interaction between Jesus and any human being between noon and three o'clock. And so the only slot of time for there to be interaction between the criminals and other people and Jesus was between nine o'clock and twelve o'clock. And think about that. That man had been deriding Jesus for almost three hours. And all of a sudden, just before the darkness hit, this conversation takes place. Remember, there are seven sayings on the cross. We try to place them at whatever within the sixth hours. The very first statement, you remember, and I'm going by memory, is 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you remember Jesus spoke to his mother and to John, Woman, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. And you remember Jesus uh, said that he was thirsty. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, or, or Father, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus said, It is finished. And the final statement, the sixth, the seventh statements was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But this one happens to be the last statement before Jesus sensed the wrath of God falling upon him when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So as it were, this man was saved at the eleventh hour and the fifty-ninth minute and the fifty-ninth second. So almost three hours we imagine this man mocking the Lord and repeating what the others were saying in the crowd. And you know, misery loves company. But we often find that on death row there's not much mercy between one and the other. And it's amazing when you hear the last statements of people that are about to be ex- executed. It's just unbelievable the profanity that comes from their mouths and the hatred, the lack of remorse, and even the, the suicidal kind of thoughts. Do you know someone said, they usually ask, you have any last words, inmate so-and-so? And one man said, I just am curious what it is to die unprepared. Can you imagine someone making that statement? But this man, when he heard his comrade mocking the Lord, his heart changed. He began to rebuke his fellow prisoner, saying that this man was, is innocent. How did he know that? Had he heard his sermons? Was he listening to the different voices of the crowd? Was it the the statements that Jesus made previous to that about asking forgiveness, about caring for his mother? But this man's heart was changed. And he turns to the Lord and he asks for forgiveness. That's what it means. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Don't forget me. Don't let me go to hell. Don't let me receive in eternity the the punishment of the sins that I have committed. And especially this apparent sin of murder in his the insurrection. He asks Jesus to forgive him. And Jesus says, Today shall you be with me in paradise. Today. Oh, there's a cult that says that Jesus does not evidence himself to be God. That the way Jesus actually said this was, um, today I say unto you, you shall be with me in paradise. That's not what Jesus said. He said, today shall you be with me in paradise. We're going to paradise today. 
not tomorrow, today. In other words, Jesus' body was put in the tomb for three days, but his soul, along with the soul of that converted man, they went together. Well, Jesus went first, and that man followed soon after. So what I'm saying to you, the first death that took place there was death to sin. There was a different relationship that that man had to sin. It was no longer his dominant king. Jesus took over as the king of that man's life. King of my life, I crown thee now. Sin no longer was was dominant in that man's life. He could now resist the sin of hatred and the sin of unbelief. Death to sin. What was the second death, spiritually speaking, that took place at Calvary? The second death was death for sin. Because Jesus was the first one to die, we're told, at Calvary. Yes, there were three physical deaths. But may I say, there were also four spiritual deaths. The second death was Jesus died for sins. In other words, in in regard to sin, Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins. In the place of us, Jesus died. Somehow God transferred the guilt of our sins to Him. We understand transfer of funds from one account to another. You don't touch the funds, but it's real. It's a real transaction. It's a legal transaction of funds from one account to another. And all we have to do is punch some buttons or make a phone call. What I'm trying to say is the Bible teaches that Jesus became sin for us. That our sins were transferred to Him by the power of God. Jesus, when He died, our sins were debited to His account. It was a negative transaction, but it was a real legal transaction. And we should ponder this. This is amazing that our sins would be debited to His account. And no wonder why darkness hit at that point. Because Jesus regarded God as His Father up to that point, remember? Father, forgive them. But what did He say at noon when darkness hit? He didn't say, Father, Father, why hast Thou forsaken Me? He said, My God, He recognized God as judge at noon when our sins were debited to His account. But we speak of the Gospel as as double imputation. Our sins are debited to Him, but the other transaction that's made is His righteousness is credited to us. It's not a matter of we're forgiven of sins and then we start at zero. If we just have our debt removed, we're at zero. But God requires perfect obedience to get to heaven of all His commands of thought, word, and deed. We can't get to heaven at zero. Obviously, you go to hell if you have debt. 
But if we're just at zero and we just talk about his death at the cross, we can't get to heaven at zero. There has to be perfection to get into heaven. There has to be an infinite amount of righteousness. How is that accomplished? Jesus' life. You see, his life was lived in our place as well as his death was died. He died in our place. And so there's a double transfer. Our debt to him, his righteousness to us. He was made sin for us who knew no righteous who knew no sin, but he was made righteousness to us, the Bible says. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died for our sins when he died at Calvary. The amazing thing is that before he actually died, our sins were atoned for. Because he came out into the light when he said, it is finished. The debt is paid. But we understand the fact that he had to die in order to seal that atonement. But the actual atonement was made before he died. Because he said, it's finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There were two more deaths. What was the third death, we might say? Who died first? The dying thief that rejoiced to see the power of the blood or the the dying thief that was continuing to rail until his last moment? We don't know. But the third death that I'm going to recognize is death in sin. What a horrible thought. Death in sin. You don't want to die in your sins. In other words, we don't want to die still a sinner unsaved because there's no second chance in eternity. Nothing in the Bible teaches that a person can be saved after he dies. If he dies lost. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as reincarnation to have a second chance. There's no such thing that... And people try to take First Peter and say the Lord went down into hell to preach to sinners out of a portion of hell that they might be released from that place. No. What that passage of Scripture is teaching that is in the days of Noah that Jesus was preaching through Noah to those that are now in hell. Noah was preaching, get on the boat. Be delivered from the wrath of God. But this, the one thief died in sin and when he died, literally, his soul, the Bible teaches, went straight to hell. He went straight to the penitentiary. You see, God is a prison as well as man. And we don't call it unfair to build prisons, do we? For people that commit murder and rape and assaults. And we don't, we don't think it's an unrighteous thing to build a prison, do we? Though we, we understand that people on death row should not be on death row as long as they are. 
And if there were executions, more executions, the fear of God would fall upon this land. But God is a prison. He's built it. The Bible says it's called the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that's the maximum security prison. The temporary abode of the the dead is called Hades. The Bible teaches that one day, Hades, which has an exit, it has an entrance and it has an exit. That there will be souls that will exit Hades to stand before God at Judgment Day and then they'll be cast into a place that only has an entrance but has no exit. It's called Gehenna or the Lake of Fire. That man went to Hades. Just like the rich man in the parable of Luke chapter 16, just a few chapters before this. He died and was buried, and they had a good funeral for him, and they probably had a minister over his grave that said, that man was a good man, and surely he's in heaven. But Jesus said, his soul went to hell. That man died in sin. And Jesus said to those who disbelieve, if you do not believe that I am, that I am God, that I am Jehovah, you will die in your sins. That's like saying you die and you remain a sinner. That was the third death at Calvary. But thank God there was a fourth death. Jesus said to the one man, Today you will be with me in paradise. The fourth death was he died from his sins. He died from his sins. In other words, he left his sins behind. He didn't die in his sins and remain a sinner, an unsaved sinner, but he left his sinful weight behind. He went to glory sinless now. He was glorified as he went into the presence of God. Can you think of him bowing before the Lord that he had just seen on the cross? Isn't it an amazing faith though to think that that man would look over to a crucified man? To a man that couldn't you couldn't even tell the Bible says that he was a man. He was so emaciated, so, so torn by, by the punches, by the gauntlet of the fists of the soldiers and and the the trauma that took place with the crown of thorns. The Bible says he was marred beyond any man. In other words, you could not tell. And that's what firemen say when they see people's faces that have been burned in in fires and, and have been the subjects of bombing. Well, that's what Jesus looked like. And that man had faith in a crucified Savior. Lord, he called him today. He said, Lord, will you remember me? And then he got to see a bodiless Savior. How does that work? There are apparently a few bodies in heaven right now because Enoch went up without dying. Elijah went up without dying. And the Bible talks about some that were raised from the dead when Jesus was raised from the dead. And were they also ascended? So we at least have three bodies in heaven. 
Enoch's, Elijah's, and Jesus' body. Enough to say we're going to get our bodies soon. But then the Bible says there are some bodies in hell. In the Old Testament, God opened the ground and they went down body and all to the center of the earth. But this man died from his sins. He became a spirit of a just one made perfect. To be absent from the body is for the believer to be present with the Lord. If we die today in Christ, in the moment, in the blink of an eye, we will be in glory. Whether heaven's a long distance away or the dimension of heaven, it's so close, it doesn't matter. Because if it's far away, Jesus can take us quickly to heaven. He doesn't need a rocket. What a wonderful hope that we have to drop this weight of sin and how we deal with sin every day, don't we? We struggle against sin in our own hearts and in the world. You think, it's an amazing thing, you think that you're away from the profanity and the blasphemy. I don't know how many times I've gotten into a situation where I think, It's fresh air now. It's fresh air to the ear. It's fresh air. But then you hear someone take God's name in vain. You're in a park and you hear someone take His name in vain. The day's going to come when God's name will always be reverenced and praised and glorified. What blessed hope that gives us that there is a heaven to gain. There is a paradise. It's the word. It's it's an Aramaic word which which pictures a garden. The word paradise. Paul said he went up to the third heaven or a paradise. Paradise is not in the ground. People say, "Oh, you don't go to heaven yet until after Judgment Day. You're in paradise." But Jesus said, "Today you will be with me in paradise." The Bible says he went up to heaven, not down into the earth. I trust that being in the shadow of Calvary today will refresh our hearts to love the Lord, to be afraid for sinners that are unprepared. It's being in the shadow of Calvary that's going to cause our hearts to be filled with love and and our minds and hearts to be filled with concern for others. Oh, maybe if a portal was open to hell and we heard the groans of a lost soul, that might have some influence. And the Bible does give us some some cries from souls who have been lost. But predominantly, it's the cross that's preached to us. It's the, the shadow of Calvary. It's the love of God that will move you and me to thanksgiving and praise and witness in this new year. We're alive in the first Sabbath, on the first Sabbath of the new year. Isn't that a, a, a token of God's goodness to us? His grace? But is it not saying, work for the night is coming. Redeem the time for the days are evil. 
You and I enjoy being in the shadow of the cross, but there are others that still are in darkness. Or even in the light of sin. But they need to get in the shadow of the cross from the burning heat that will destroy them. Four deaths at Calvary. Death to sin. The man was saved. Death for sin. Jesus died as a substitute for us. Death in sin. A man died and went to hell. But death from sin. A man died and went to heaven. Forever to be with the Lord. Think on these things.